We're back with episode eight of Raise Your Glass, a podcast celebrating the best local food and beverage culture Kansas City has to offer. Today, we raise a glass to Boulevard Brewing Company. We sat down with Boulevard's ambassador brewer, Jeremy Danner. We learned what it means to be an ambassador brewer, what Danner loves most about Kansas City, and here's some tips that are a key to hashtag Dannering. But mostly, you should stick around for the stories that had us cracking up. Hey guys, it's Michelle from Ripple Glass, and I'm sitting here today with Jeremy Danner, who is Boulevard's Ambassador Brewer. Hey Jeremy. How's it going? It's going great. It's actually sunny today, I which know. is excellent. It's confusing. I was in Omaha this weekend, and the uh, the weather forecaster described it like mashed potatoes were falling from the sky. So I'm, I'm happy to be back home. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Okay, yes, but it is quite slushy. It's yeah. been strange. It's been a bad winter. It's yeah. wild. It's been yeah, it's been wild, especially up north. We do a lot of work up in Nebraska and Iowa area, and it's been it's been pretty crazy. It's like it rained or not rained, snowed like maybe five inches during the beer fest I was at, and we were inside, of course. Right. And I was connected. The hotel I was in was connected to the event center, so I was fine. But watching people just look out and their faces drop was. Did folks still show up? Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good day for Uber then. I think so. Yeah, yeah I'd hope so. <laughs> so, uh, so your official title at Boulevard is Ambassador Brewer. Yes. And it has been for quite a while, right? Yeah, I um, adopted that title back in like mid 2013. So I was I was a brewer from. Well, I actually started part time on the smokestack bottling line in January of 08. Went full time as a brewer in March of 08, and then at the beginning of 2013, I had the opportunity to create the role that I'm in right now. And it's, okay. It's seen a few evolutions over time, but yeah, ambassador brewer is what we ended up picking mm-hmm. as a way to identify what it is that I do. Sure, sure. And so, um, can you talk briefly about what that means? What does an average maybe week look like for you? Yeah, so um, basically I uh, serve as a go-between between um, the marketing and brewing departments, sort of translating the world of uh, both to the other, because you can imagine um, there's it's vastly different worlds with different goals. Um, it's still all about the beer, and it's also different uh, personalities and skill sets in those teams. So being able to uh, translate what the brewers are working on into something that we can discuss as marketers, that we can then explain to our sales folks, we can talk about it with distributors and retail partners and ultimately consumers is a huge part of my role. But then also uh, making sure the brewing team feels good about what we're doing marketing effort-wise. I think uh, marketing is a, it's a cool thing. It's something very visible that we're trusted with holding. But I think it's also something that everyone in the brewery should have the ability to say, like, why did you guys choose this name or why did you pick this color for this label? So I try to be very available to uh, the brewers, especially to anyone that wants to ask questions about what it is we're working on. Um, and then I do internal training for our sales team. So if we hire new sales reps, they come and spend their first couple of days with me. We'll walk through the brewery, talk about the brewing process, hang out with the folks making beer. I'll do a tasting with them. I'll take them to a warehouse for a tour, sort of teach them about the culture of Boulevard as well as Kansas City. So I want them to love Kansas City as well. Uh, I do a lot of writing for the brewery, whether it's label copy for, or copy for labels on bottles or boxes or descriptions on our website or sell sheets. And then in time we launch a new beer, I'll write a blog post about that. So my week changes a lot uh, depending on what's going on. If I'm traveling, uh, I try to do two or three trips a month on average, so I might be gone two or three days out of the week in, in a different market. And then those other two days, I'm trying to be back at my desk, answering emails and, and doing my desk work. So I try to balance those out. So that's, it's interesting because 
you're very visible. You know, I think if you're not following Jeremy on social media, you should. He's good, entertaining, followed beer, you know, beer notwithstanding, but most of the time, most of the time. Yeah. yeah, I, know, yeah. I know you try, but yeah. um, I never really thought about that. The le- being a liaison between marketing and the sure. brewers, yeah. you know, so what's the balance there? What I see of you is all the external work you're doing sure. and all the communication you're doing. So what do you think the balance is there between internal within brewery work? And yeah, I mean, at, at the beer fest I was at this weekend, someone asked me like, are you ever at the brewery? And I mm-hmm. am quite a bit. I'm, I'm here more than I'm gone. Right. Um, but it just so happens that the things that I'm doing outside the brewery, people find more interesting. You know, if I'm like, I think it's cool to go sit down and talk to the guys about what they're working on and taste a beer out of a tank. But that's if we're developing a beer, I can't talk about that just yet. So I, I'd just be a tease like, hey, I'm tasting this beer and here's a picture and I can't tell you anything about it. So try to save that energy for when I can actually talk about it. Um, but I feel strongly that the beer should inform the marketing and the marketing should not dictate the beer. I think that's important. I think um, it's it's possible in any factory or any company that makes a consumer good is that marketing is often visible and out there and conducting research and saying, well, we believe that people want this pink widget that has this accessory for this price versus giving the folks who produce whatever it is they sell the opportunity to dream up what they want to do. And I understand that beer and making, um, you know, Walkmans, or I don't know why I said Walkmans. Like, <laughs> widgets. That's, yeah, that's the most widgets. irrelevant device I could have mentioned. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know what sort of freedom there is, but I think it's important that we allow the brewers to play an experiment and let them find a beer that they feel strongly about, and then it's our job to take that beer and develop the marketing around the beer, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, like, we need a beer that's brown, that's 7 ABV, that's not very bitter, that has some smoke in it. And, yeah, yeah, like, you guys make the beer and then let us figure out how to... Um, how to frame that beer and how to present and market it, sure. I think is super important. I like that approach a lot. I've not ever thought of it about, you know, the difference between that. Is that common? You know, I, I, I want to think it is common at breweries. I mean, mm-hmm. I know at small breweries it certainly sure. is because they don't have marketing departments like we do. Um, like the brew pub I worked at, I made really crappy, um, like, PowerPoint signs, you know, when we had a new beer coming out. And they're pro- I'd be ashamed. It'd be like you look at your like your old portfolio from whatever job, and you're like, oh my God, my work was garbage. Um, So there's a reason that we have a marketing department, but uh, I I would hope that craft breweries for the most part allow brewer innovation to inform what's going to be on their calendar for the next year. I think you can tell when it's clear it's not that way, when it's all trend chasing or uh, sort of copycatting what's popular at the time versus, oh, we've never, I've never thought about aging a beer on cedar and, and allowing the folks who make the beer to come up with those ideas and then figure out if they are marketable. And obviously the beer hall is a great place for that. If, if people like a beer, it's a good chance that more people are going to like it outside the brewery. But I think it's important. Well, that, that's that, you know, for those that are listening home, we're actually in the beer hall right now. How much has the beer hall changed what you develop and what actually ultimately goes on your release calendar? I mean, being able to sell test beer is huge. Um, if I hand you a glass of beer and it's okay, they'll say, yeah, it's fine. But if I sell you a glass of beer and you don't like it, you're going to tell me, or you're not going to buy it again. So monetizing test beer, I think, is a really good tool for figuring out how beer will perform in the market. And then there are times that we think we have a great beer and we put it on and it's not a great beer. Uh, something like we were excited about and it gets on and it turns out it doesn't have the legs we thought. So being able to have that real world test while we still have control over the you know the storage and service and presentation of the beer is important. Mm-hmm. We're able to have targeted conversations as well. Sometimes 
I read reviews for our beers, and that's a scary thing to do if you read reviews for any product or service you I've, provide. I've perused all those sites. It's horrifying. Yeah. You have to be able to sift through, but um, when someone tells you online sucks, you know, like, well, what sucks about it? Right. Like, why, why are you coming please. after me? I'm yeah. not coming after you. I just want to understand. Right. But if somebody in person tells you something sucks, you can be like, what sucks about Immediately, it? Immediately. You can have yeah. that conversation versus having the ability for misinterpretation down the road or whatever. And really, when I ask, like, what sucks, I want to know what you don't like about it because I, I care. I think it's important to listen to people who buy our beer. Right, right. So you, you hit on it a little bit. I've always been curious, is there one beer that you thought would be a complete hit that wasn't, or vice versa, that just surprised you and did super well? Yeah, I was really surprised about um, a beer called Entwined we made a few years ago. It was on in the, in the tasting room before we even had the beer hall as Tess Nelson Grape Ale. We took some to Parkville Microfest and people loved it. I thought it was really cool, and that beer did not perform at all. Um, and I think it might have been ahead of its time, but I think that's also maybe an arrogant thing to say too. I think we got excited about the beer internally. Uh, the branding was really cool. I thought the name was really cool to talk about the marriage of a beer, you know, beer ingredients and wine ingredients in entwined. I thought it was clever, uh, but it just didn't. It didn't go like we didn't thought take. it would. Yeah. yeah, I think Pilsner is another good example of that. Mm -hmm. When we when we first launched. Uh, Pils or Casey Pills now was Boulevard Pilsner and we launched it around the same time that um, InBev bought Anheuser-Busch thinking maybe people who are disillusioned by this purchase want to try to drink uh, a craft Pilsner and here's mm -hmm. the opportunity to do that and we put it in the cooler with domestic beer mm -hmm. we realized that why why would we want to make a beer that's going to be popular that doesn't draw the line back to Boulevard so people who were boulevard drinkers or craft beer drinkers were confused by it being there. Mm -hmm. And people who were domestic beer drinkers didn't understand why Boulevard had this beer in that cooler. So mm -hmm. I think taking it back to Casey Pills, um, the latest refresh on the branding with the open source Casey logo makes so much sense. And that beer, it killed it once we made that change. So Good. I, And I always wondered what, I remember that original label yeah. on it, kind of with the classic scrawl. And I always wondered what what prompted that change. So, yeah, I mean, it know. was cool. It was a cool, like, reference to the old Mubach Brewery, and the long necks were fun. I remember the mm -hmm. first night going out, and they're like, do you want a glass? I'm like, hell no, I want to drink out of a yeah. long neck. Like, I've never <laughs> drank, <laughs> yeah, I've never drank a Boulevard out of a long neck. I want to do this. Um, but then changing the branding and changing the way that beer felt and made it look like a Boulevard beer obviously was the right thing to do. Yeah, definitely. So Boulevard has a super packed release schedule this year. What are you most pumped up about? It's crazy. Yeah, um, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, I'm excited about um, the Boulevard and D IPAs pack that's coming back this year. We did that last year where we made three IPAs that were only available in the beer hall or the tasting room that you could get in a six pack. You got two each of three new IPAs. I think that's cool. I think uh, people have the tendency to think the Boulevard doesn't make great IPAs or that's not what we're focused on. And I would agree that's not what we're focused on. Sure. But with, with the birth of Space Camper, I think that's very much changing that narrative and we're realizing like this is the kind of IPA we want to make and we have a little more focused approach. I think in the past we had several year-round or seasonal IPAs that even as someone who works internally it was confusing to know the positioning. So if I'm confused I imagine consumers and distributors and retailers are confused so having a more um, targeted approach to what we're trying to do with IPAs is cool so I'm very excited for Boulevard and IPA pack and Space Camper to see what, what they're going to do. Uh, I'm really excited about Plat Habit coming back. That beer is amazing. Mm -hmm. It kind of 
I've Caviar never had guard. it. Oh, man, I can picture so the label, but I've never had it. Yeah, so it's an Imperial Brown Ale aged in Canadian rye whiskey barrels. And I remember tasting all the barrels and thinking, yeah, this is pretty good. And then I got my preview bottle to go home and write notes for the release post blog. And I texted Stephen Powell, so I'm like, oh my God, dude, this beer is amazing. It's magical, so yeah. I'm excited for that. Okay. Yeah, that's, we'll have to try that one. Yeah. Will it be here too? Yeah, we'll have that at the beer hall. Okay, for good. the most part, any, any beer that we release in the market will be available uh, in the beer hall and in mm-hmm. the gift shop, usually around the day that it drops in okay. the general market in Kansas City. Okay, so we'll do we'll do a Ripple Crew happy hour here when it drops. So, um, so not everyone knows this, but a lot of Kansas City folks do. Uh, Boulevard and Ripple were both founded by John McDonald. So I imagine you've had a lot of John experiences over the years, as have we. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what What's your favorite, maybe like PG thirteen John McDonald story? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you put that qualifier in. Yes. Um, PG thirteen yeah, leading I into think, R maybe, but yeah. So I, one of the first trips I went on with John, I think we flew to Boston for Craft Brewers Conference, and I got seated next to him on the plane, and I'd talked to John before that, but this was very early in my tenure at Boulevard and just wanted to, to talk to him and I asked him, you know, when you started Boulevard, at this time we were in 19 states, this was a while ago, when you started Boulevard did you ever think you'd have beer in 19 states and we'd be flying off to this conference to talk about our beer in the brewery and he's like, oh god no, no way. Um, we talked for a little bit longer and then he's like, you're from, you're from Lexington, Missouri, tell me about that. And while I started to talk about like my, you know, being raised in Lexington, John took his glasses off and folded them up and hung it on his shirt and like leaned back in his seat like he was going to go to sleep and I was there to tell him a bedtime story. And I'm like, well, so you I, bored him to tears. I was like, I don't, well, I don't think just like like just stay here till I go to sleep, man. Um, so I didn't I didn't know John very well, so I just kind of kept talking until I thought he was asleep. Um, the, so it's like it's a nice story to have down the road, but. It was very weird to have a grown man just like in the just middle of the conversation. Your, yeah, just like oh. you're lulling him. Yeah, yeah. keep talking, Dan. And, and it's so funny. We think <clears throat> about you were super new, and you're probably a little like not stressed about hanging out with him, but you didn't know him. No, and it's, it's a like little, it's a nerve wracking. Yeah, because he's it's John like McConnell. your boss's boss's boss yeah. or whatever, and he's he's, a big guy. he's famous-ish. And yeah, just like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. s- I also wanted John to think I was cool because I think right. John's cool. So he is cool. He's I wanted, super cool. I wanted John to like me, and I. I know now that John likes me, but he, yeah. he likes you a good deal. Yeah, yeah, he does. But um, yeah, he's, I like the, pro, he's yeah. prone to that sort of thing. Yeah, you know? and he you, he doesn't know he's wanna, doing it. Yeah, no, it's innocent. Yeah. And I do it's, like that John will also <laughs> if if I try to Facetime him late at night, he'll answer too. So that's that's have you have you not Facetime John at night? No, like, that's really good to know. It's been a while, but you might give it a go. Taking notes. John's usually down for a late night Facetime. That I, is, I don't think most people feel comfortable sending that call, but I do. I would. We would. Yeah. I think. Yeah. We I think we would. Late night we first time Johnny. And I, I'm, assu- I'm assuming <laughs> that. Have you been to his farm in Clinton? I've not been to the farm. No, I need to get yeah. down there. You do need to get to yeah. the farm. We did a little, um, like one night team retreat down there, which was awesome. It's just a cool place, you know. But that's. I think that's the night where we all got comfortable FaceTiming. Yes. You get to see real John, yeah. Mm -hmm. I went to a meeting at his house years ago, and it was in the summer, and it was around the pool, and I got there and just immediately got in the pool. People (laughs) were like, oh, I guess we're going to have the meeting in the pool. I'm like, dude, we're at a house in the pool. Yeah, that's I'm just living, you know. (laughs) I I came to swim, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I can picture that. Yeah. Yeah. We met at his house a little bit, too, but I've never been in the pool. 
Mm-mm. It's salt water. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. It, looks nice. it looks really relaxing. I it's like, like a swim. little mid-city oasis. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, just a little bit of a tangent. Since you have to be so visible for the brewery and you're always getting interviewed and you're always on Twitter, what is the most random or off-putting question you've ever received? Oh, man. I, see, so before we started, I told you guys I didn't read the questions and I didn't yeah. read that one at all. And that's when I probably... I probably should have thought about. Um, I think, and this is going to sound terrible, and I don't want it to. It's okay. But I think um, one of the things I enjoy about my job with Boulevard is that people love our beer. So it's very easy for me connected to that to make friends. And uh, people generally like me and want to be nice to me, and that's cool. But for a while, and it hasn't happened in a long time, but for a while, people would like invite me to their house. Like people I didn't know, and that's very nice, but I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I did once in Dubuque, Iowa, after a beer dinner. There's a very nice couple across the table from me, and we've been talking throughout the dinner. And like, hey man, I know that we don't know each other, and this might be weird, but we're having a bunch of friends over for a tasting after this. Do you want to come? I'm like, well, there are enough other people there. Yeah, I'll go. Sure. So I it's, get, and it's between that yeah. and the hotel a lot of time. Right. And- yeah. Nobody likes to be in a hotel. I don't know how much yeah. you know about Dubuque, <laughs> Iowa, but I've been there quite yeah. a bit for Ripple, actually. Yeah, I more was, than I. I was excited about. to have yeah. the opportunity to sure. do something fun. So I get in the car with these people, and they drive me to their house. We're hanging out, and my phone rings, and it's my wife. I'm like, oh god, she's gonna ask me what I'm doing. How do I explain this? Right. So I answer the phone. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, um, I'm at a bottle share. She's like, where are you? Um, I'm at somebody's house. I promise this isn't going to get weird. And she goes, goes, um, whose house? What are their names? And I go, I don't know. I I don't know their, I don't know their names. That guy. But um, their dog, Jeff, is really cool. (laughs) And they have kids. So I don't think they're going to kill me and bury me in their backyard. But from then on, the rule is I couldn't, I can't go to strangers' houses. And it's neat. I want to, I want to drink beer with people. And I want to make new friends. Well, and you want to let you want to let a night evolve, yeah. right? If it does, but then yeah, but I can't do that anymore. It's a little risky. That's against the rules. I can understand that. Yeah, I'm I'm like a big guy, but still, like, it's not a good idea to go to a stranger's house. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably when it's time. It's time to cut it off. You can edit that out if you need. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think you're fine. I think we're okay. Now. Yeah, I think we're good. I mean, I have people like. I've had people get mad at me and like come at me personally mm-hmm. and that's always interesting and I understand like being in the public eye that's part of what I've accepted in my role but then like people have they've gone after like my wife or my kid and that is absolutely off limits that's something I don't tolerate no it's and, not okay and I've never gotten in trouble for like fighting back on that but for the most part you can say whatever you want to about me and I might I might like it um, and to me, a like doesn't always mean I like this. Sometimes it's it acknowledgement. means I, I see you, this. bro. Yeah. I so see you. I'll like stuff like that, but it doesn't mean I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's subversive. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to mess with them. So you mentioned Dubuque, which I've spent a lot of time in that lovely city too. Other than Kansas City, what Midwestern city is your favorite beer scene? Oh man, I love uh, Omaha and I love St. Louis a lot. Um, I know people in Kansas City get fired up when you praise St. Louis, and that's ridiculous. It's a great city. It really is, but yeah. we're two very different cities, yeah, and it's okay. You know. I don't get the rivalry at all. We're both Missouri cities that are awesome. Um, so I love going to St. Louis. They have a ton of breweries making really cool beer. Some of my favorite bars are there as well. They've got Perennial there. Yeah. They're awesome. Side Project yeah. is amazing. I love Civil Life and Four Hands. Mm-hmm. I always... Um, 
trade up second shift if I can because those guys are awesome. But I always stay at the Moonrise on Del Mar down there. So I have like a like a cycle that's my loop of bars at the end of the night. So like Three Kings in St. Louis is one of my home away from home bars. So I love going there. And then I was just in Omaha and I try to get up there three or four times a year for work if I can. And Omaha is, it's like Kansas City light in a way. It's a little bit smaller. It feels the same. Everyone is just as nice and friendly. And they have a ton of breweries up there making some really cool beer right now. Yeah. So it's always fun to get up there. Yeah. You know, people talk about Kansas City friendly. Omaha's just, oh, it's great. It's just an exact duplicate of yeah. that. So. And I've been going up there a while. The Extreme Fest is what I was at this weekend. And it was my 11th year in a row at that fest. So You're it's nice to have. You're seeing faces yeah. probably. Right. Yeah, yeah. I have some friends up there and probably right. some enemies too. But it's nice to go up there and hang out with people that I know and enjoy beer. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. So related to that, what do you think, I mean, a lot of changes in Kansas City over the last few years on the craft beer side, what do you think it'll look like in five years? I don't know if there'll be more breweries or less breweries or, or the same amount. I think Kansas City is going to experience what the nation is experiencing right now. And I don't think we're oversaturated by any means yet. I think there's plenty of room for breweries, but I think in order to grow it, we need to grow the beer drinking population because that's what's happening right now is while craft brewery numbers are on the rise, beer as a category itself is, is flat or down in most areas. So mm -hmm. we're not competing for a bigger pie, we're just slicing up the pie into smaller bits. So right. I think it'll be important to do that, but I think we have a lot of opportunity in Kansas City. I mean, a lot of people know who Boulevard is and they drink our beer every day, but they've never said the phrase craft beer. So sure. I, think, I think they're probably drink people who drink unfiltered wheat beer or pale ale, that's their only beer, but they, mm -hmm. they wouldn't, if you ask them like, what's the Brewers Association? What's the definition of a craft brewer? They wouldn't know. Right. And that's not required to enjoy beer. I'm not, sure. I'm not saying they should know that, but I think people would be surprised to know how many breweries there are in Kansas City right now or in, in the country itself. I was at uh, Royal Liquor a few years ago for a tasting, and a lady walked up to me at the Boulevard table, and she asked, Oh, Boulevard, where are you guys from? I said, Well, let me ask you a question. Where are you from? And she goes, I'm from Kansas City. I've lived here my whole life. And I, I leaned in, and I go, are you messing with me? And she goes, no, I've never heard of you guys. So, I mean, someone who lived in Kansas City their entire life had never heard of us. So that, mm -hmm. that means there are more people out there who aren't aware of Boulevard Beer. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of work to be done there. For sure. And then also bringing people in who don't necessarily identify as, as craft beer drinkers or even beer drinkers. Or even beer drinkers, yeah. period, right? I think it's important. They're on the make, wine train or whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah. We make 45 different beers. So I think if you... And, and beyond that, there's tons of beer styles out there. When people say, I don't like beer, to me it communicates I've not met the right beer. Right. People say, no one says, like, I don't like dogs. They're like, I don't like little dogs, I don't like big dogs. But If they say that, you yeah, can just serial you know, killer. Right. Right. You cannot go to a bottle share at their house. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. But I think that's a good point. So, you know, although there's a lot of small microbreweries here, the challenge is really to increase the number of people that love right. beer yeah right so i think the, that, there's like, enough yeah. room for everybody to coexist so sure. long as you know people you continue to drink beer you have to bring more people in i mm -hmm. mean so to answer it i think we'll probably have more brewers than we have right now sure but probably not a ton more because i think right. the market is maturing again mm -hmm. in the same way that it did in the 90s you saw the explosion in the 90s and then a, a great contraction of the amount of brewers and i think i don't think that's going to happen again mm -hmm. and we're certainly not going to have prohibition again hopefully um <laughs> So I, I don't think it's going to be a great reduction in the amount of breweries, but only the breweries making really good beer will mm -hmm. still be around. Right, sure. And that, I think that's natural yeah. you know, over the course of anything in an industry that 
the folks doing the best will survive. And, Quality becomes yeah. very important. Sure. So um, besides beer and the Royals, what do you love most about Kansas City? Sorry for taking the Royals off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, know. Um, I like I like how friendly everyone is in Kansas City. We we get a lot of visitors from the coast, or we'll have our distributors in from different parts of the country, and I'll show them around the brewery, and we'll go out and have some you know food and drinks, and they're always freaked out by how nice people are, like people from like Southern California especially. We had some folks in from LA, and they're like, everybody's weird here. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, last night the bartender asked me how I was doing. And he stopped to listen to my answer. Like, well, he cares. Like, how are you doing is not just a greeting here. It's an right. actual question that requires an answer. Um, so I think that's really cool. What I think is the coolest thing right now, though, is how jazzed everyone is for things made in Kansas City uh, or things that say Kansas City on them. Like, you walk down the street and everybody has Casey gear on, whether it's a Royals hat or Charlie Hustler, Chiefs or Sporting or whatever. Um, people are like, they're dying to support Kansas City stuff. You know, they see, you know, made in Kansas City stores all over town, all the, the goods and uh, cool stuff you have there. People want to love that as a huge source of pride. So, like, as a, as a person who lives in the city, that's cool. And as a person who's involved in the production of something that's sold in the city, that's really awesome yeah. to see that. It is great. We've got um, have a sister company out in Salt Lake, uh, Momentum Recycling. And anytime they come visit, like, we have never seen a city that loves itself more than Kansas City. Yeah. Kansas City loves Kansas City. Absolutely. There's a, you know, uh, what's there's not a to print, love? Uh, a normal human that says, uh, it's, it's a card. It says, I love you like Kansas Cityans love Kansas City. And I think I that's need that so on perfect. a sweatshirt, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's been talking to them about new Ripple shirts. Yeah. Like, maybe that's... I bought that for my wife a few years ago. Yeah. And she's like, this is perfect, man. It is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It says it. It does say it. So, um, you run a blog... Uh, what you want to know Wednesdays? Yeah, it's kind which of, is it's, it's been on hiatus a little bit, but yeah. I think I'm going to bring it back. Yeah, you should bring it back. Cause it's yeah. it's entertaining. It's also informational, so it's good. Um, what you know? What is you know? What's off limits there, or is anything off limits, or as far as questions that you receive? Yeah, I, you know, I don't touch things that are political in nature sure. on behalf of Boulevard because I know that no matter how people feel that doesn't necessarily impact their preference when it comes to a beer or where they sure. want to hang out. And I think there are some topics that are bigger than politics that I personally have touched on Twitter, um, but I, I wouldn't touch on our website. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a difference between like politics and being a good person. So it's, it's confusing to me. Like I, I talked about my son going through uh, active shooter training at school and that really freaked me out and obviously I wouldn't talk about that on the Boulevard website <laughs> but I, I think like compassion and human rights and equality and tolerance and acceptance those are things that are bigger than politics mm -hmm. and this is, a, this is a phrase I've seen thrown around a lot where people say maybe the reason we're bad at talking about politics and religion is that we're told not to talk about it so sure. it's, it's interesting like we don't have any experience having that sort of discourse with strangers um, without but, getting yeah, majorly right, branded and without freaking people and out, associating yeah. their belief system with their character, you yeah. know, which is not always and the it's case. Not, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm so glad I'm not trying to date right now. I mean, one, I I've been with my wife for almost 17 years now, so I wouldn't know what to do on a date. No. <laughs> and it'd be super weird. But then, like, how you feel about things could be an immediate yes or no. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm for or against that, but so I, I don't touch politics. Mm -hmm. I don't ever 
say bad things about other breweries because I don't need to. Right. I don't. I don't want to. I'll never run out of positive, interesting things to say about our beer and our brewery. So that that's something I never do. Um, and then I have to be a little careful about showing love to bars and restaurants that I like because Kansas City, everybody has Boulevard and every, right. everyone's a great customer. So I have to be careful to not like leave someone off the list. You know, right. there's a Mexican joint in my neighborhood that I love a lot. And I, I talked about it once in a What You Want to Know Wednesday and was told like, hey, you might be careful because a lot of Mexican joints have our beer. And what's funny is I've never even drank our beer at this particular Mexican right. joint. You're drinking Mars. I have, yeah. I, yeah <laughs> I go for 250 margaritas on Monday. Right. Um, so I've never had our beer there. I know they have it, and that's awesome. So I have to be kind of careful there. Yeah. But it is frightening the level of access I have to our website sometimes. People are like, so you can do whatever? Like, Most of the time. Yeah. Is it like WordPress and you can just go in yeah. and edit all the pages yeah. and edit? Yeah, yeah I'm not a wizard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can do WordPress. Yeah. You could Yeah, you could certainly Google and figure out how to edit pretty yeah. much anything. So, yeah. But I know that it's that... a high level of trust. That comes with responsibility, too. Sure. So I'm, I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. I know that, obviously, on the Boulevard website, it's an official communication of Boulevard. But even on Twitter and Facebook, to some degree, the things I say publicly are linked to Boulevard mm-hmm. for better or for worse. So I always try to be an, an asset for the brewery instead right. of a liability. And, and one thing I've always really loved about how you conduct yourself is like you said, you don't need to talk bad about other breweries. You don't need to feel competitive. I mean, you have plenty of good things to say about sure. Kansas City Boulevard. And I think that's super important because that's not typically what I see. You no, know? it's um, weird, man. Yeah, We're in competition and we all want to sure. win, but we want to win friendly. You right. Know? Win on your own merits. Yeah. 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 Well, I think make good beer is the first step. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, this is not necessarily a question, just a comment. Uh, when I first met you, I was kind of asking you, I was like, what do you do? What's your normal day look like? And you told me, I think, I like remember this clearly because you don't hear this from people. You were like, I really love my job. Like, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Like, I could be happy doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Is that still the case? Yeah, I mean, that's my plan is to retire at Boulevard. I don't know. It's so great. It's funny, we were talking over the weekend at the fest, like, I'll be, I'll turn 38 this summer, which is not old, but it's also, I'm not 22. So I wonder, like, how long will I be cool at a beer fest? Like, at some point, will it be like, hey, you're too old to go hang out at a beer fest? Or like, because after a certain point, if you're a cool old guy, then you're really cool. So I, I wonder, like... Like John McDonald's right. style. Yeah. yeah. Where's that buffer, though? Was there, like, a period from, like, 43 to 55 where John was not cool? Where he was just an old guy? Or I, I don't know. Right. I mean, he's always been cool as long as I've known him. But, like, sure. yeah. is there a period of time where, like, you're too old to be at a beer fest and then you're old enough to be the really cool old guy? I have to figure I out what I see what you're saying. Yeah. I feel like I don't have the answer to There's that. There's a window. That is a legitimate question. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. You're I mean, like, be I, living yeah. proof, probably. Like, I know if, I'm like, <laughs> if it works or not, right? If I'm 70 and having fun at a beer fest, that'll be really cool. Mm-hmm. But if I'm 48 and having fun at a beer fest, is that cool or is that weird at that point? I'm interested to see. Yeah. <laughs> so, we got, you, yeah, we yeah. thought about it and I got really serious. I'm like, I don't want to think about this anymore. I don't know, man. No. I don't want to put you, a shelf life on myself. I don't think so. I think yeah. you just got to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't mess it up. Yeah, don't, don't mess it up. <laughs> don't mess it up. So, um, I'm a. I'm a tall individual, as are you. Correct. I am decent at getting the good seat on Southwest flights. Yeah. But I am not nearly as good as you. 
so how do you do this? Yeah. And for those at home, he, it's called hashtag dannering. If you put it on Twitter, you can see all sorts of folks showing their danner picture where they get that prime exit row seat that has no seat in front of it. It's 12A. Yeah. It's, 12A. Yeah. It's 12A on a Southwest flight. <laughs> um, you know, it's weird. like I fly a lot, so I get good, I get good uh, boarding position. Right. But it's amazing how many people don't sit in that seat. Dude, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Like I've, I've gotten that seat as like A50 before. Which means that like 49 people who aren't interested in comfort got on that plane before I did. But I think people are obsessed with getting off the plane first or getting drinks first. And right. I don't care about either of those things. No. I'm going to get off the plane. Right. And if I want to drink, it I'm makes get a, one. It's a matter of minutes. Difference. Yeah. You know, it really is not a big yeah, deal. People like uh, row nine gets drinks first. And I don't, I don't drink on flights. I fall asleep. So like I wait until I give my verbal confirmation that I understand my responsibilities of that seat. And then I'm out. Yeah. And then I wake up and we're there. So yeah, that's that's where it's at. It's amazing. So think, get so get a a boarding and then make, boarding, it, make an yeah. aggressive move towards a twelve. Yeah, I'm always <laughs> like as I'm as I'm approaching the plane, I'm always like, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. And if there's like a really tall guy, like a taller guy than me who's really tall, yeah. I'm cool with it. But right. sometimes there's like smaller people. People ask me if that makes me mad, and it does. It should. But yeah. but if there was a guy behind me that was six ten, I'm still taking that seat if I can get to it. So I right. get it. Well, after a certain height, it's just all a little bit relative. You're yeah. comfortable no matter what. Right, you know, right. I don't feel any certain grief for taking that seat. Right. You know, because I'm like seven inches taller than the average sure. woman. So I'm like, it's okay. Yeah, being in a regular seat on an airplane yeah. above six foot is tough. Right. It, I have it is very tough. long legs. Being in the middle seat is extra, extra rough because I'm also broad. Yeah, you I don't know, ever so. have that. That never happens yeah. to me. It, it, it's happened to me a few times recently because I've been off my game oh, man. with travel. I'm out of practice. I've sure. been going as much. So, yeah. yeah. That's rough. Yeah. And I, I imagine if, if, if there's like one middle seat left and they see me coming towards it, I imagine people are like, oh, man, damn it. Like, I don't want to sit not there either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not excited about this either. Not so. this guy. Not, yeah. I don't like to touch folks on airplanes, sure. so I prefer to just go no armrest and yeah. like arms scratch. Do you, you know? <laughs> do you talk or do you, what do you do? I'm open to talking. I okay. don't want to talk the whole time. Okay. I won't initiate. Sure. But yeah, I'm not going to be a dick about yeah. it either. You know? so. I get on wearing headphones even if I'm not playing music yeah. just because I don't, I just want to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. a, that's a good call. I should just start doing that just to, you know, signal. Yeah, I'm not chatty today. Some people, I've had people like tap me on my headphone, like, "Hey, buddy," and I'm like, "I'm not taking these off. You can't make can't me." Hear yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't read lips. <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've always been jealous. Yeah. Of the dannering ability, somebody, it's really good. Somebody replied to me once that um, they're like dannering. You don't own that, and I think I replied, "You should click that hashtag, and you'll see that I do." Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, sorry." Yeah, in, in practice, I do. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not trademarked, but you right. know, may as well be. That's my thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, we we hit a lot on the podcast and you know, social media and everything. The relationship between Ripple and Boulevard. Mm -hmm. The thing that I love for people to know is how unusual it is for a company like Boulevard to actually give a shit. Yeah. Uh, and and give a shit so much that they're willing to essentially inconvenience themselves for what was really a four or five per year period yeah. to get Ripple off the ground and to solve the issue of not having a place to recycle glass locally. Um, and that, I know a lot of it was, you know, because there's high, there's always been high quality folks at Boulevard that actually care, uh, don't want to see 
you know, waste created as a result of what they're doing. So that's real. But I wanted to ask you about it. What, I mean, personally, why is recycling important for you? I mean, I have a kid and like, I don't know, my, my grandma died last year and she was 87. And I don't know that I'm gonna make it to 87, but I know that my kid will be alive in 50 years, hopefully. And I don't, I don't wanna ruin everything for him. I think like climate change deniers or folks who don't believe that we need to be good stewards of the environment are not only wrong, but like willfully selfish and like actively ignorant. I, I think that's, that's tough. When, when Ripple came up, the whole idea, it's, it's one of those things where you slap your forehead and think, of course, why, why wasn't this thought of sooner? Why didn't we think of this? And now it's so second nature that, you know, in taking your glass to the Ripple bin, you, like you go to somebody's house who doesn't recycle their glass and you're like, well, I'm just putting this back in my cooler, man. Like, I'll mm -hmm. be damned if I'm throwing away this glass bottle. It's weird to go somewhere that doesn't recycle glass. Mm -hmm. Or like you go, like when I travel, I'm like, where's your glass recycling? Oh, I don't do that here. I'm like, why not? Right. Like it, it just feels like the act of physically putting a glass bottle into the trash is horrifying. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't work. So, and you're, you're right, it was, it was an interesting thing to do because we pulled uh, Mike Utz, who's no longer with the brewery, mm -hmm. um, from kind of focusing on day-to-day -to, -day to, to doing the, the Ripple thing. John focused a lot of his attention on that. Mm -hmm. And at first, we're like, what are you doing? Like, you got a brewery to run. But then you, you get the big picture and you see how it's going to go. And then also, um, John surrounds himself with people who are capable. So the brewery didn't falter during that time. But it, it was weird at first. And I think it also plays to the fact that we went zero landfill here at the brewery six or seven years ago and it's been a while I was still on the brewing team I know we talked about going zero landfill and like these bins are going to show up and here's what you're going to do we talked about it in the plant meeting and then one day the dumpster was gone mm -hmm. like where the hell is the dumpster <laughs> I'm like oh we don't have one what do you mean some force change yeah. right there yeah so we had to figure some out extreme force change <laughs> we had to figure out what to do with our our malt bags that we get because those are multiple materials bound together to create the bag and suddenly we didn't have a place for those so mm -hmm. And even, even with your lunch, you know, you, you finish your lunch, like, which I don't know where this stuff goes. I'm just going to put it in my bag and take it home. And that's not the answer, obviously. We figured no. it out. But the first couple of days, I'm stressed out. I'm like, I'm just going to put all my garbage back in my lunch bag and take it home. <laughs> pack in, away. pack out. I don't, yeah, like you get your bag to, the, uh, to the, the break room and you're like, you're overwhelmed and looking and trying to read the signs. And um, so it wasn't easy, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah. It was a good thing to do. Yeah, and that's, that's not something we... We've really discussed a lot, but there was a lot of sacrifice on the part of Boulevard just from daily operations of sure. trying to get this little fledgling business up and going, you know, and ripple and get it started kind of on the backs of the brewery. So I'm just trying to explain to people why we should do it and then also why John felt called to do it because as a, as a supplier of beer in glass bottles, we were a major part of the problem. So I think that, that plays to that. I mean, guilt's a, an incredible motivator. It is. Um, and yeah. especially when it helps you do the right thing, but we recognize that we're part of the problem, and John found a way for us to be that solution, which I think is super cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is super cool, and it's grown. So last year, we, we just figured out we did recycled 175 million bottles last year. Is That's that right? crazy. Isn't that cool? So, yeah. So, uh, But we couldn't have done it without Boulevard, and I know um, we get calls all over the nation from cities or whoever and they're like we really need to get a program going here 
but we don't have basically we don't have anybody that really gives a shit. Right. Like we don't have a boulevard, and we don't have like an organization to do this. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not like you can just drop a glass recycling can. No. Like okay, here you go. Yeah. Here's a startup or whatever. You're building a super expensive, you know, heavy equipment facility, but you have to have glass to run through it. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, that is wild. <laughs> so yeah, what we're do- what we're doing in Kansas City is super unique, and I mean it's something that people want to imitate elsewhere but it's hard it's hard to do without someone like boulevard involved so well thanks for joining us today jeremy it's been a blast of course keep doing what you're doing yeah no i'm just uh i'm exceedingly lucky to be associated with boulevard i think it it's helpful that our beer is tremendous and it's easy to be connected to that and i don't have to convince people that our beer is good you know i did a tasting in omaha this weekend and i uh, you know you pour a beer and people are like holy crap this is great i'm like well, I don't really need to sell you on this beer then. You're, you're good. And it's about, you know, getting, getting to be connected. That is, mm-hmm. is very lucky. So Yeah. And you're, you're helping make the, those aha moments happen, I try, which is yeah. super cool. You know? I just, yeah. I just want to be, I tell people that I'm like the, like the wingman for the brewery, you know, like, I hope you I like me, that. but the I hope, man. You, hope you like wingman. the beer more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like sure. it's, it's good if you think I'm okay, but if you think the beer's great, that's better. Right. That's the goal. Yeah. That makes good sense. so much fun talking to Danner. To hear more from him on beer, the Royals, and life, be sure to follow him on Twitter. We'll put his Twitter handle and Boulevard's website in the show notes. If you need help finding the show notes, in Apple Podcasts, just swipe up from the player screen, or you can always go to raiseyourglass.fireside.fm slash eight for episode eight, where you can find links and the notes on our guests. This podcast is made possible by Ripple Glass, Kansas City's hometown glass recycler. If you live in Kansas City, you probably have seen one of our big purple bins around town. That's where you can drop off all of your glass bottles and jars so we can save them from the landfill and keep Kansas City beautiful. If you are already a glass recycler, thank you. You're awesome. If you haven't started recycling your glass yet, check out rippleglass.com, put in your zip code, and find all of the bins closest to you. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and if you love Kansas City culture as much as we do, drop us a line at info at rippleglass.com and tell us who we should spotlight in a future episode.